You can turn to your Bibles, um, if you'd like, Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. It's also in your bulletin. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear less any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, therefore, remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see all of you again today. Thank you for inviting me back. And it's so good to be with you again on the book of Hebrews. Now this chapter that you just heard read follows immediately on the heels of the previous chapter. So if you were here last week, just kind of keep those thoughts in mind. Is there any doubt what this chapter is about? You heard the word rest, right? Again and again and again. So today we're talking about rest, and I trust that it's a subject that you have come in need of, just as I do. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer before we dive in. <clears throat> Father, as we just heard, your word is living and active. And so, Holy Spirit of God, you who authored this book of Hebrews through the writer 2,000 years ago, we pray that you'll come back here again this morning and fill this place with your presence and illumine our hearts and our minds, open our thoughts, our words, our ears, our eyes to behold the truths of your word that are embedded in this chapter. 
We pray that you'll change us, Lord, because we have come into contact with Jesus, the author, the, uh, the, t- the subject of this chapter. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we live in a world that does not know how to rest. Would you agree with that? Maybe you can identify with this writer of a recent blog post that I ran across, and I thought I would share this with you word for word. Here's what he said. When I rest, I feel guilty. Guilty that I'm sitting here doing nothing when I could be doing a hundred other things. Guilty that I have all these hopes and dreams and goals, and yet here I am not doing any of them. Guilty that I have all this paperwork I have to do for work, and I'm not doing any of it. These thoughts are always going through my mind. So really, I'm never fully relaxing. Now there's an honest guy talking about the lack of rest in his life. I read a Family Circle magazine survey one time that said that 71% of people said that their lives had gotten busier than the previous year. Now that's ironic, isn't it? Given the amount of technology we have today that is supposed to make our life simpler and, and calm us down and give us more time for leisure, But actually, most people say, every year goes by, I get busier and busier and busier. So often when you ask someone, how are you doing? What do they say? I'm busy. It's a problem. You know, I think most people don't like to stop and do nothing. It makes us feel lazy, maybe out of touch. You've heard of FOMO, the fear of missing out. Well, I think it's explains this problem because if we stop to rest, we will miss out, we think, with friendship. We won't have any friends. We won't be important. We won't have meaning or purpose or significance. But the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 is going to give us a different perspective, a completely different outlook on life. The word rest, as I hinted at a few moments ago, is in this chapter 10 times. And he's going to say in this chapter, rest is a good thing. You should want it. He even says in verse 11, let us strive to enter that rest. And he warns us not to be like the Israelites of old who failed to enter that rest. Okay, so what's he talking about? I want to answer three questions this morning. Number one, what is rest? Secondly, why is it so elusive, hard to come by? And third, how do you get it? So what's rest? Why is it hard to have? And how do you experience it? So that's our plan. Let's dive in and talk first about what rest is, according to Hebrews chapter 4. Well, You know, the New Testament was written in Greek. The word rest that's in this chapter 10 times is the Greek word katapausis. Katapausis. Kata, prefix meaning down, and pausis meaning stop. So you could literally translate the word rest as settle down. (laughs) Settle down, stop. Cease your activity. 
And he's going to talk about rest in this chapter in, on four different levels. Now, I know, it, as you heard Bridget reading this chapter, you probably got lost in it. it. It seems to switch around and say this and then that, and they don't fit together. A lot of loose ends, right? So I'm going to try to tie those loose ends together and show you that there are four different ways the author of Hebrews talks about rest in this chapter. He's not making it easy on us, is he? Four different levels. The first level on which he's talking about rest is he is talking about the day of rest. That is the Sabbath day. Look with me at verse 4. In verse 4 he says, For he, that is God, has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. Quote, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now that quotation is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 where it says that God rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. A lot of you heard these words many, many times. Later on, that seventh day pattern became embedded in the Ten Commandments. It is the fourth commandment in Exodus 20 that says to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. In other words, what is the fourth commandment really telling us to do? Take a break. Catapausis. Settle down. Stop. Hit the pause button. Literally, you can even hear the word pause in catapausis, right? Hit the pause button. One day in seven, friends, we should stop what we normally do and do things that renew our spirit. What things? Worship with your church family as you are doing this morning. Get together with friends. Feast. Read. Play. Pray. Talk about the Sunday sermon. Visit people. Spend time with your family. Take a nap. Watch the game. Those of you with kids, I know. I've been there, right? My wife and I have four kids, all grown, out of the house. It's a lot easier for me to say that now, right? But those of you with kids, I know it's hard. I know the challenges. But within the challenges that each of you face, you need to have a day that's different from the other days, a day to rest. Your body as well as your soul. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the first level on which the author of Hebrews 4 is talking about rest. Second level, totally different. The author speaks of rest in this chapter as a place. Not only as a day, but as a place, namely the promised land. That is the land of Canaan in the Old Testament era. In verses 3 and 5, look at those two verses. It says, they shall not enter my rest. Now there, the author is not talking about the Sabbath day. He's talking about the time that we talked about last week. If you were here, I referred to Numbers chapter 14. Quickly, let me tell you. When the Israelites were marching up from Egypt up to the promised land, they stopped at a place called Kadesh. And Moses sent some spies up into the promised land to 
to uh, survey the land and to bring back a report. And they said, there are giants in the land and we are going to feel like grasshoppers compared to them. We cannot go up there. And the Israelites freaked out and refused to do what God had told them to do. So the people of Israel ended up forfeiting, forfeiting their inheritance in the land of Canaan. A whole generation of God's people died in the wilderness due to their lack of faith and obedience. So that's why they did not enter God's rest. That is the place called Canaan, the promised land. So it was spoken of as a day and as a place. Third level on which he's talking about rest. The promised land was not really the ultimate place of rest for God's people. It was just a type or a symbol or a shadow of a far better rest. And that's the rest that you enter when you place your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And I'm going to have more to say about that later. So just sort of put that on the shelf for a few minutes and we'll come back to it. Because that's really the main point of this whole chapter. So it's a day, a place, a relationship that is with Jesus. And finally, there is a rest that is yet future. This is the fourth level that he's going to talk about it about in verse 9. It says in verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What is he talking about? Well, ultimately he's talking about the rest that we will enter when we die. If we are in Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, the moment you pass away, you are in the presence of the Lord. We call that place heaven or paradise. It's the place where Jesus took one of the thieves on the cross with him. Today you will be with me in paradise. See, when you uh, pass away, if you are a Christian, your body will rest in the grave until the return of Jesus, but your soul will immediately go to the face of God. You will be in God's presence and you will see him. And then when Jesus returns, you will rest eternally from your labors on the new earth, which is what that last banner is talking about, the ultimate restoration when Jesus comes and uh, uh, brings in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be with Jesus, enjoying all sorts of epic adventures with our fellow believers and with Jesus as our king. Restoration, that's the ultimate rest that Hebrews 4 is talking about. So do you see then that it, it, there's a, a past a present and a future dimension to this idea of rest in Hebrews 4. Past, the seventh day of creation or the Sabbath rest. Present, the rest that comes today. Did you notice the word today in verse 7? The rest that comes today when we trust Jesus for our salvation and have our sins forgiven and receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it's the future rest, the entry into perfect rest when Jesus Christ consummates all things. If I could put it all into one word, I would call it shalom. Rest is the blessed life. It's not just the absence of activity. It's not just zoning out in your lazy boy and binging on your favorite TV series, although I've done my share of that. Rest is soul and body 
replenishment. It's living quorum Deo before the face of God in the presence of God with a deep sense of security. Shalom, the deep abiding peace of God. And as Brad admitted a little while ago, I'm sure he spoke for most of us that this morning even has been perhaps a day of chaos and of confusion, noise, and anything but this. Just hear that Jesus Christ offers this deep abiding peace that you can have even in the midst of craziness. However, now that we've understood what it is, now we've got to say it is so hard to come by. Why? Why is rest so elusive? That's an important question because the fact is so many people in this world never find rest. You can tell. You can see it on their face, can't you? You can see they do not have peace. They are so anxious all the time. They are so tight, so bound up with having to prove themselves, having to advance, having to compete, having to do more and to add more to their life. Why is rest so elusive? It says in verse 1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So this chapter admits that this is hard to come by for many people. It's possible to miss out on or to forfeit, just like the Israelites of the Old Testament, the promised rest that God wants to provide. You would think it'd be easy to rest, right? You would think that everybody would want this. We want to get away from it all. We want to stop. No, actually, many people don't. Blaise Pascal once said, and it's printed in your bulletin today, all human evil comes from a single cause, man's inability to sit still in a room. Man's inability to sit still in a room. Why are human beings so addicted to restless activity? Well, I can think of at least two reasons. One reason is, is that because having constant noise and constant activity around you is one way to avoid the troubling truth that you are deeply flawed and broken. See, when we're busy, we don't have time to think. We don't have to feel the emptiness, the longing, and the loneliness of the human condition. If we can just fill up our lives with all kinds of things and duties and activities, get busy, then we don't have to think about how lonely or depressed or sad or alone we feel. See, busyness is addictive. It's like alcohol or drugs. It numbs us to our pain. That's reason number one. Number two, why is rest so elusive? Well, it's because deep down we instinctively know that things are not right between us and our creator. We try to justify ourselves by what we do, rather than by believing that justification is a free gift that comes to us through faith in a Savior who has done for us what is required of us. Do you see that? So lack of rest is ultimately a spiritual problem. It was for the Israelites. Verse 6 says that Israel failed to enter that rest because of disobedience. Lack of rest is ultimately a spiritual problem. The Israelites failed to trust in the Lord's power to protect them from the Nephilim, that is those giants up in Canaan. And so they failed to do what he had told them to do. They believed that Egypt would be a better place than the land flowing with milk and honey. 
They, as we saw last week, hardened their hearts. That's what it says in verse 7. They hardened their hearts instead of relying on God to carry them through the wilderness and up into Canaan. And we struggle too, don't we? We struggle just like they did. God promises to provide for us, and what do we do? We worry. Or we rely on credit to get what we want instead of waiting on God to provide. God promises to be with us during our times of suffering and trial. And what do we do? We conclude he doesn't care. He's not here. He has abandoned us. He's forgotten us. So we take things into our own hands and we try to muscle forward on our own. Rest is elusive, you see, because we are by nature allergic to the presence of God and addicted to independence from God. We don't want to trust God. We want to be God. Captains of our own fate, masters of our own universe. So what about you? Could I ask you to look inside and think about this for your own self? Can you say that you're a restful person? Can you say that ordinarily, I know we all have our worst days, but can you say that ordinarily you experience shalom on a daily basis? A deep, abiding peace that follows you wherever you go and whatever's going on around you. When the world is seemingly falling apart, when there are all these problems going on, are you at rest? Or do you stay busy because you don't dare stop and realize how broken you are and how corrupted is the world around us? I want you to know this morning it's possible for you and me to live a restful life. It is possible for us to have a life characterized by Sabbath, by rest, not just one day in seven, but seven days a week. It is possible. It's available. As we saw in the morning's call to worship that Mark read to us earlier, come to me, says Jesus, all of you who are weary and crazy and burdened, and I will give you rest. So it's possible to have rest. How? We've seen what it is, why it's so hard to get. Let's talk now about how to experience rest. We could spend some time talking about many of those practical things that you and I know we should be doing all the time. We could talk about taking better care of ourselves, uh, resting, getting enough sleep, putting a limit on screen time, reading and watching less news. That's a big one for me. I tend to get really addicted to the news, and it just mm, makes me so more anxious all the time watching it. Or we could talk about avoiding those places where you know you will get anxious. All those things are good. It's having, be, being sure you're observing the Lord's Day. Being faithful with that. I mean, all of those things are really important. But here's the main thing. You want to know the main way to experience rest, shalom? It's in verse 3. And it really is all bound up in one word. Verse 3 says that we who have, what's the word? Believed. Enter that rest. See there, the author tells us how. 
We who have believed enter that rest. So faith in Jesus is what we're talking about. Believing the promises of the gospel is the key to rest. I love movies. I love movies. Um, one of my favorite all-time movies, it's kind of become a staple of sermons. So for those of you that are my age, you've probably heard this a million times. But because we have a new generation of people that's never heard this illustration, I'll drop it in anyway. One of my favorite all-time movies is Chariots of Fire. How many of you have seen Chariots of Fire? It's, it, it's, it's been around a long time. If you've never seen Chariots of Fire, that's your assignment this week. Chariots of Fire, 1981, so it's kind of old. Uh, a, a story about two guys that were in the Olympics back in the 1920s. Two Olympic runners. One of them was named Eric Little. Eric Little, he was a Christian. He went on to be a missionary to China. He's an inspiring story, Eric Little. Read about him, if you will. And the other runner in the Olympics that year was Harold Abrahams. Harold Abrahams was Jewish. He was not a Christian. But these two guys were friends and somewhat competitors as well against each other. So they both ran different track and field events in the 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris. But they had very different outlooks on life and very different outlooks on running as well. Eric said, Eric Little said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. It's kind of one of the most famous lines out of that movie. When I run, said Eric, I feel God's pleasure. But Eric in this movie chose not to race. And this is true. This is all true. He chose not to race on Sunday because he believed that it is the Lord's day. And he said, I don't want to do that. I want to do things I don't usually do on Sunday, the Lord's day. So instead of running that race, Eric Little preached at a church in Paris. And he used as his text Isaiah 40. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It's such an inspiring scene in that film. Eric Little lived out of rest. He believed the gospel. He rested from his works as a means of salvation, and he put his faith in Jesus to do for him what he couldn't do for himself, which is namely to enter a relationship with God. Harold Abrahams, on the other hand, the Jewish man, he was not a Christian, and in the movie when he was about to run the 100 meters race, he said this, I'm 24 and I've never known contentment. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. And now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? See, if your trust is in yourself and in what you do to justify your own existence, you will never be able to say you've done enough. There will always be the question, will I? Have I done enough? Or should I do something more to earn the approval of others and the rest 
that I so desperately want. But when you look to Jesus, as Eric Little did for your salvation, you instantly receive the perfect righteousness of Christ. Verse 10 says, whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. See, just as God rested from work on the Sabbath day, you too can rest from a religion of works and rest in a relationship based on works that Jesus did for you. That's the gospel. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And this is not just true when you become a believer in Jesus. It's true every single day for the Christian. There is nothing, listen, there's nothing you can do that can make God love you more than he does right now. And there's nothing you can do that will ever make him love you less. I remember the day that a man in my former church came to talk to me. I'm going to call him Josh. That's not his real name, so apologies for you Joshes in the room. But Josh was this young man who had been attending our church for a while with his wife and two kids. And Josh, the thing about him was that he always looked like he had just come from a J. Crew photo shoot or something. Perfectly quaffed, beautifully dressed, just every hair in place, everything thought through, just really a, a sharp looking guy. He, he, everybody assumed Josh has it all together. He just looked that way. Beautiful family, etc. But he came to my office one day and wanted to talk. He sat down and he said, Mike, I don't know what to do. I mean, he was, he was so sad I don't know what to do, he said. I feel totally out of touch with God. And the joy that you talk about and the love of God that you talk about, I don't know that. What do I need to do, he said. How can I pray better? How can I read my Bible more? I need help to get closer to God, he said. So we talked for a while, and then eventually I asked Josh to tell me about his childhood Tell me about your home life. What was it like as a kid? And Josh began to open up with me, and he told me about his very demanding father. He said, my father was never satisfied with me. He was never pleased with me. I could never please my dad. And we talked some more, and eventually I said, Josh, are you a Christian? And he said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I, I asked Jesus to forgive my sins. I know that he died on the cross for me. And so I looked at Josh and I said to him, Josh, do you know that God is not like your dad? Do you know that God is pleased with you? Do you know that you cannot do anything more to make God love you more than he does right now? I said, God looks at you like he looked at his son and says, look, behold, Josh, my son, with whom I am well pleased. And Josh's eyes began to fill with tears. And he said to me, Mike, is this really true? And I said, yes, it really is true. God loves you, Josh. God loves you so much.
And that's the day Josh's life began to change. I ran into him not long ago. And he said, Mike, do you remember the day we met in your office? And I said, yeah, of course. I'll never forget that. And Josh said, I, I finally got it. And I've got a long way to go. But I, Mike, you really helped me get it, the gospel, for the first time in my life. And maybe the same is true for you. Maybe you're like Josh. Maybe you've been trying harder to win God's love and to do what's right and you've filled your life with so many duties and you've tried to be a better parent and a better this and a better that and, and that's what you think will eventually bring you into the land of rest. But I want to say the same thing to you that I told to Josh because Jesus took your sins to the cross and gave you his righteousness. He looks at you with immense joy and pleasure. And why wouldn't he? Because you are in his son. You are justified. And God treats you as though you had never sinned. Your sins past, present, and future are gone. You need do nothing more to win God's grace and, your favor, and his favor. Your sins are gone and you've been accepted and received and loved by the God of the universe. This means you can stop. You can kataposis, settle down. You can rest from trying to earn God's love. You already have it. It's a free gift, not earned, not deserved. All you got to do is simply receive it. Please receive it even now. Again, every single day, receive the love of God and believe because we who have believed, that is trusted in Jesus, enter into that rest. Let's pray. Father, I'm just like Josh. Almost every single day, I want to build a record with you and with other people. I want to stop sinning. I want to start doing this. I want to do things better. I want to be better. And Lord, all the while, I'm just doing it all in my own strength and in my own flesh. We pray today, Lord, that you who have revealed the source of rest will woo us back to you again this morning. That if we've wandered away, if we've hardened our hearts, if we've been trusting in our own resources and, and trying to muscle our way forward, Lord, help us today, help each person to stop, to pause, and to rest in the love of God, which as we sang earlier, is immeasurable and free and amazing. Bring us back again and again to that love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.